Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. One step beyond! And welcome once again to the soundtrack to a life. I am Chris. I was always Chris. It's going to be Chris basically every month going forward. With me again is Daniel. Daniel's back. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Uh, not too bad. Right on. Um, Daniel is on crutches. He has recently destroyed his foot. Yeah, that was a life choice I made. And I am recovering from bronchitis. Basically what we're saying is we are made of meat and then left out at room temperature. And whoever made that decision for the human body, it's a terrible decision, and you should feel bad about yourself. We're all so crunchy and breakable on the inside. My God. Who designed that? I don't know, but I'm angry at them. True fact, but that is not our purview here. We are here talking about music. Uh, Specifically, we are talking about Madness's 1979 album, One Step Beyond. Hey, Daniel! I made you listen to some ska. Yeah, you sure did. I made Cam listen to the bleakest, most nihilist punk record I've ever heard, but you listened to ska. You're welcome. Thanks. (laughs) Anywho, I picked this album for you because you commented on an intense and abiding dislike of third wave ska, presented in the traditional SoCal style, and I couldn't help but wonder if it's ska you're responding so negatively to, or the traditional SoCal style. Because I know how you feel about SoCal bro-punk, and I figured it might go either way. So I hooked you up with my favorite album by my favorite 70s ska revival band, Madness, that we might figure out once and for all what specifically it is about the bands that Madness inspired that annoys you. Because, honestly, I can't imagine anyone disliking Madness. This is my get-me-pumped-up band. It's what I put on when I need a spring in my step, and they never fail to lift my spirits. I can't listen to 70s ska in general, but Madness in particular, and not be in a better mood by the time the record's done. And they managed to do it in such a natural-sounding, unforced way. These are pop songs, infectious and catchy and hooky and memorable, but they don't sound manufactured to me in the way that pop songs tend to today. It's not self-conscious. It sounds like a bunch of dudes who love the music that they're making, having the time of their lives, who want to share their love of ska with you, if you'd care to join them. And especially here on their debut. They seem in places genuinely surprised and thrilled that a record label gave them the opportunity to record these songs, and that enthusiasm is infectious. You're buoyed along by the music. It's a sound that you want to like because the people making it so obviously love it. And that kind of very innocent love makes negativity of any sort, if not impossible, at the very least difficult. They make a joyful noise. And sometimes that's all you need. So, Daniel, you hate ska but you've never heard One Step Beyond by Madness. Now you have. Tell me, what do you think? Well, I have good news and bad news for you. The bad news is, it turns out, I just don't like ska. (laughs) The good news is, I've figured out part of why. It turns out, I hate the saxophone. I hate the sound of the saxophone. And if you don't like the saxophone, you're going to have a lot of problems with ska. Yeah, it's going to be rough for you as a genre. 
And I will say, listening to Madness did help to kind of hone in on that for me. Because there are a lot of the songs on the record that are quite saxophone heavy. Oh man, they open with... Like, the opening track, One Step Beyond... Is almost entirely saxophone. Entirely. It is completely... Yeah. When I got through that, I was sitting on the train thinking to myself, this is going to be difficult. Oh, I hate the saxophone. It might not be that I hate ska, it's that I hate the saxophone, and ska has so much of it. Oh, it's featured front and center. If you took it out, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Because I know, because there are bands that have ska influence that I don't hate. I love The Clash. And oddly enough, the last time I listened to this album, when it was finished, just the way Spotify works, it started playing The Clash. And I was running through my head and realizing there are Clash songs that are very reggae and ska influence that I love. They have no saxophone in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. They're very spiritually similar groups. Rhythmically very similar, and I understand where the influence is and where the sound comes from. But yeah, unfortunately, this didn't really, this just really didn't do it for me. I mean, as far as ska goes, I liked it a lot better than I like SoCal Bro Ska, which wasn't really surprising because I dislike pretty much everything that SoCal Bros do. Oh, come on. They're just doing their thing. They live in Southern California. They, I want to say, surf. Uh, it seems like you might. I've been to Southern California briefly. I did not surf, but I also didn't hang out with a lot of bros, so maybe that's why? Fair enough. Well, okay, I want to walk in on the saxophone thing. So, every saxophone everywhere, you're fully against. Ooh. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to say yeah. That is interesting. So, like... And I really couldn't tell you why. You do not do things sexy and in slow motion while the saxophone line from Careless Whisper by George Michael and Wham plays in the background, the way that most of us do in our mind. I think that's pretty universal. I, I don't think I've ever been accused of doing anything in a sexy fashion. Try it slow motion while the saxophone line from Careless Whispers plays. I have definitely been accused of doing things in slow motion, though. <laughs> but no, uh, never to Careless Whisper. And maybe that's where I've been failing in life. Maybe that's where all my sex appeal has gone. Not enough George Michael. Can there ever be enough George Michael? No, I mean, you have a very solid point there. I liked George Michael. I liked George Michael when he was, um, not trying to be an artist. Is that weird? I don't know. Is that liking George Michael wrong, or is that, like, the consensus? The less hard he was trying to be taken seriously as a performer and a musician, the more I enjoyed what he was doing. So you're talking like weird sex maniac George Michael. Sure, sex maniac George Michael, 22-year-old teeny bop George Michael. Less so, sit down at a piano and pour out the contents of your heart. That version of George Michael I failed to connect with. I think the consensus has to be less serious George Michael. Does anybody like serious George Michael? I mean, somebody might. He's still a good songwriter with a legit voice. Adult contemporary George Michael. Do you know who I likes adult contemporary music? I want to say adults, but... Yeah, people our age, like, oh. 20 years ago. That was like the main kind of music that people our age listened to 20 years ago. I don't like being an adult anymore. Yeah. George Michael was the Coldplay of his day. That feels painfully unfair to George Michael. Well, I mean, Coldplay are killing it. 
Name one other band that 20 years after they put out their debut is still on the pop radio. Okay, well, you have me there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Like, whatever they're doing, it's connecting. Is it with serious George Michael fans? It must I, be. Yeah, like the contemporary equivalent of that. It's people in their 30s who like to think that they're buying contemporary music by a contemporary artist, but don't have the energy. So they're all George Michael fans trying to be cool again. But they're the modern update of that archetype, yeah. I think. Coldplay makes more sense to me now. Yeah. I don't like it, but uh, I understand it better. I think they put out like three good albums in the Bush era. I but don't know all that I could pick any I, of them apart. But I'm also a 30-something white dude, so like they've been marketed pretty specifically to me. Yeah, that should be right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I can barely help it. You know, if you weren't you... That's the case. But I guess we should tie it back to this um, actual record that we're discussing here today. Because this is kind of the opposite of that. This is a very young band. I was very surprised when I looked them up. Suggs, the lead singer, was 18 years old the day that this record was released. Okay. And I do feel like that kind of energy shines through. With the rest of their catalog, I mean, it's still saxophone heavy, so you won't enjoy them as much. <laughs> but... It's the sound of a band aging into their sound. Okay. Whereas this one really does kind of explode for me. It was recorded in three weeks. So it's all like very early takes in an era where processing the track after they're done was impossible. So you get a vibe that this is very much what they would sound like. And actually, none of that's really surprising. Like, based on... What I know of Ska and where Ska usually comes to people in their lives, it seems to be a very teenage kind of thing. And that's, you get a lot of Ska bands that start when you're teenagers. I don't know if it was maybe just when I was a teenager, it was mostly band kids who needed something to do with their instruments outside of band class. Because I don't think someone in their late 20s just picks up a trombone out of nowhere because they think they need to? No, it's not. Now I will pick up an instrument. Whereas before I never have. That's a fact. Although, I mean, okay, I like Second Wave Ska, obviously. That's why I made you listen to this. But I wasn't a person in any kind of functioning way in 1979-1980. I could see somebody growing up with this. It's very accessible, yeah. for sure. And then having that be the impetus to take up the trombone? I can see that, yeah. For me, it feels like music from when I was in high school, because that's when I heard ska for the first time. Oh, that's and 100%. It, it seems like you either get into punk through ska, or you get into ska through punk. Yeah. There's... And it seems to be like 14 to 18, where that, where you just kind of reach that age, where that's a thing that you do. Yeah, those two styles of music are going to be entwined. Forever now, which is funny to me because, so far as I can tell, it's all down to the Clash's sound mixer on their first tour being a reggae DJ. <laughs> and then he'd spun uh, reggae records while the crowd was coming in. Ah. And every single person who saw that tour also listened to roughly an hour of reggae. <laughs> Before the show started, because if you think about it, not considering what has happened since, 
those are not similar styles of music in any way, and no. we shouldn't be associating them. No, if you sit if you sit back and separate those two out, there should be almost no overlap between them. Yeah, like they don't have a lot of. I mean, I mean, they're lyrically, both, they're, thematically, they're both very traditionally lower class kind of styles of music, and this is true. But I think that's largely. But for, yeah, but from yeah. opposite sides of the world. Yeah. And traditionally, working class, UK-based teens during a crippling recession have probably not traveled the world. Probably not. Certainly not to Africa or the Caribbean. I mean, one would think not. But I suppose mid to late 70s, that's when the UK starts to get a lot more immigration from those areas, and I guess that's where you start getting those records showing up. That could be. But yeah, I guess I guess it does kind of come down to a bit of luck there and getting that influence on a band that ended up having so much significant influence over the UK music scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody who saw that tour formed a band, so far as I can tell. At least one. And so did several thousand people who didn't see that tour, but definitely said that they did. Oh my god. Yeah, that's 100%. That's an easy way to get your band in the door. This has been times in history we would have rather been named. Ooh. Uh, I don't on. know if I'd go that far. Everything else about the late 70s that was bullshit. You wouldn't have done it to see The Clash live in 77? Oh. Man, that's tough. Right? You get to see The Clash live in 77, but you also have to... Lived through Margaret now Thatcher. Now lived through Margaret Thatcher for years. Oh, boy. And I guarantee I get beat up a lot more. Uh, oh, yeah. Nobody listening to this can actually see me, but I am a very skinny half-Asian dude with glasses. I get the shit kicked out of me in 1980s UK. Yeah, that would not have gone well for you, I would imagine. All right, well, then I'll go see the show and tell you all about it. But I could have started a band. You really could have. I don't know, that one's a coin flip. I mean, you could have started a band. Yeah. People still start bands. Wait a second. No one stopped you from starting a band but you, my friend. Yes, me and my gratuitous lack of musical talent. That's the case. These guys started a band at 18. Significantly more musical talent, I would suggest. I that's... cannot play the saxophone. That's very true. Not, I mean... a, not a huge call for clarinet players in a lot of bands when I was 18. You could have started that. <laughs> And the dude can, uh, in fairness, only one of them can play the saxophone. True. And he plays the saxophone frequently, if you look up their videos on YouTube, while flying through the air. Huh. Yeah, they have them in a harness. They uh, fly their saxophonist around the videos in a way that is visually appealing and, by all accounts, very uncomfortable. I'm really regretting not looking that up. That's 100%. It's still out there. I'll mark it in the show notes. I guarantee my enjoyment of this would have been raised by seeing at least one of the band members flying just through the air on a harness. launched. And it kind of does... I mean, maybe it's just that I have seen it. But it does sound like music where if you found out halfway through, oh yeah, no, one of them is literally flying while they play this, you go, mm, checks out. That is the kind of energy that I'm getting off these guys. Yeah, I can picture that. Yep. And that uh, same energy did sustain them a lot longer than I would have uh, expected. I was going to say, they had much more recent records than I would have thought. Yes, this record uh, peaked at number two on the UK album chart and was on the charts for more than a year. 
as a pop act, they went for about like six years, six albums, 19 consecutive top 20 hits. They put out a record, I want to say last year or 2016. That was a ton of fun. It sounds like a bunch of old friends who are in their 50s now who there, enjoy spending time with each other. There and enjoy... is definitely a record from 2016, which does not appear to be a compilation record. Yeah, no, it's new. I have it. It's very good. Amazing. A uh, bunch of dudes in their 50s who like each other's company and enjoy playing ska music together. Well, good for them. Doing that, who happened to be one of the biggest pop acts in a country. So when they want to hang out for a few weeks, they can get together, jam out, and then pack a stadium with people who want to hear the hits. Well, I mean, you really can't fault them for that. And good on them. I will probably not be doing that at 50. I would imagine not. I feel like if you had wanted to, you probably needed to start earlier. A lot sooner. Certainly by the time I reach 50, it'll be too soon for a reunion tour. Yes. By the time I reach 50, it's kind of into the, like, money-grubbing years. Or just break out as an adult alternative artist. Hit that Coldplay market that, real hard. That's when you become George Michael. That's when you become late-period George Michael. Or mid-period George Michael. I shouldn't be running down Listen Without Prejudice. I'm specifically <laughs> running down Listen Without Prejudice. But there are some jams on that. Freedom 90 was all right. Oh, we've talked way more shit about George Michael than he really deserves, I think. Right? And he's never going to get his. Because while I do like George Michael, I don't like any specific thing that he's done well enough to force somebody to listen to some George Michael for this. No, there's really no reason to. Yeah, I, like I feel like I can bag on Coldplay a little bit. I don't because, think there's any reason to make anyone listen to Coldplay oh, so, either. Someone on this show will eventually listen to uh, A Rush of Blood to the Head. Oh, please let it not be me. It won't be. Oh, thank God. I've already done this to you. That's true. I promise you. <laughs> if you come back... It will not have I will anything give to do you with something Coldplay. that I believe you will enjoy genuinely. I'm batting 50-50. I did enjoy the last record. You gave me a great deal. Yeah, that seems about right. Somebody had to listen to Madness. And if you didn't want to listen to Madness, you shouldn't have said out loud that you don't want to listen to Ska. You know what kind of person I am. Yeah, that's, that's really on me for putting ideas in people's heads. That's exactly right. I should know better than to say things, ever. Or to have friends that are monsters. Well, that part's legitimately on you. It's too late to go back from that one now. That's very true. Life's decisions get made, and time's arrow moves always forward. Uh, that hole's dug, and I'm too lazy to crawl out of it. Exactly. So the first track, uh, One Step Beyond, is actually a cover. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's an old Prince Buster song, and the opening rant is sampled from a different Prince Buster song. Okay. And the song at the end, uh, Madness, Madness, They Call It Madness, is also a Prince Buster song, and the song, The Prince, was written about Prince Buster who is a uh, Jamaican reggae artist from the 50s and 60s, who I did not know that those songs were covered, and I did not know that they had written a song about them. But apparently he's a gigantic deal, if you want to listen to some First Wave Scott. I mean, I guess if you've got three records on your album, either covering or about him, he must be fairly significant, at the very least to you. Yeah, which I will admit I have not explored Traditional 50s style ska music, perhaps as much. Well, there's no time like the present now that you've brought it up. Yeah, I have now. I've downloaded a couple of Prince Buster records. They're very good. The 
production style is uh, very rough. What I've, I guess, learned about myself is that I want a very specific amount of authenticity in my ska listening experience. Because if you hand me a No Doubt or a Deftones or who else is there from that period... Sorry, are we looking for ska bands? 90s ska bands. I, I would not 90s. qualify the Deftones as a ska no? band by oh, any chance, well, but you are asking the entirely The Scatolites or Scarface or Mephiscopheles. <laughs> All real bands. That is... <laughs> that is too produced for my liking. But then if I go back oh, and listen to... Oh, that pains me. Right? That's... That's bad. All the ska puns of the 90s. That combines my hatred of ska with my hatred of puns. Perfect. That makes is, me sad. That is too produced and slick for me. Okay. But then when I go back and listen to old Prince Buster records... Not produced that enough. is That is too authentic. I want like a nice middle ground. Like an English beat. You, or a selector. You, you want it to sound like it's not being played through a gramophone that yeah. you have to put a trumpet up to? Yeah, I want the band to be performing pop songs, maybe not with a pop producer. Okay. Because, yeah, these do, uh, re-listening to this for this, continue to charm me a lot. Uh, there is a lot going on here that is fun. It's just the kind of total lack of self-consciousness that you could only have when you're 18, 19 years old. Even by their uh, second album, Absolutely. It really works if you're the sort of person who enjoys that sort of thing. But they're already starting to think about what they're doing in a way that is not present here, I don't think. I get what you're saying. I would put it very similarly to, again, the last album you made me listen to, uh, Carter USM. I did actually go and listen to some of their subsequent albums, and I think it has a very similar quality. It is very clearly people doing something for the first time, and the further they get along, they're trying to... They're either trying to do something very specifically, or they're trying to recapture a sound, yeah. which um, doesn't necessarily have the same authenticity, which I... I feel is common for a lot of bands, and I think it's why most bands, you'll find their fans tend to drift away from their later production, because either the sound changes or it just doesn't feel, I don't know, for a lack of a better word, it doesn't feel as young as it did. It doesn't hit your ears with quite, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Not the same freshness. Yeah, that it did the first time you heard it. Because by the second time that you hear uh, Madness or any act, you know what they can do and you're either very specifically looking for the exact same thing that you fell in love with, or if you're not, you're going to be disappointed by getting the exact same thing. And even an interesting evolution on something that you've heard is still a variation on something that you've heard. Like, you'll never be shocked by a band you love's second record. And that's putting aside the unfortunate case where a band torpedoes their entire career by just putting out a record that sums them up perfectly out the gate, at which point everybody goes, well, then I will never need more music by these people. Yeah. I can just listen to this piece of music. And, and nothing they ever put out is going to be good enough. Which is a shame, but that happens, and well done the first time, I guess.
to all of the bands that have devastated themselves with it. <laughs> with, with, with an absolute disappointment of a second album. I, I hope the first one bought you very nice houses. And probably did. So I'm imagining these guys killed it live. I would imagine so. Like, these songs are constructed for a giant, rowdy crowd of people to scream the three or four words in your chorus. When the entire lyrics are just screaming at the top of your lungs one step beyond... A crowd can get into that pretty easily. Well, like when you described it in your intro as your get up and get moving music, it's absolutely what it is. It definitely has that reggae, you are supposed to get up and dance around feel to it, which I totally get. And while yeah. it's not my brand of get up and move around, I absolutely think it's, it's music that would be best delivered live and loudly in your face. Yeah, it makes you want to do that one dance that destroys your knees by the time you're 23. And then pause to point at the stage and scream Nightboat to Cairo as loud as you can. I guarantee large groups of people got really drunk and attempted to pick it up. I'm sure they all had an excellent time doing it until they got past 23 and had no knees left. If this doesn't pick it up... Nothing will. It is not going to be picked up. That is correct. Like, it's picked up. It's up. It's on whatever shelf... <laughs> ska bands have been trying to place it upon which cannot be a well-constructed shelf as things routinely need to be picked up off of it that is the unfortunate case but i mean the whole thing is a little bit slapdash here and in general it is a shame that i never got to see these guys live i could have seen um suggs the lead singer on my trip in march but we had to make some tough decisions. This didn't quite make the cut. I just, I would have liked to. I think it would have been a great show. But there was too much uh, shit going on, basically. So at the last minute, we decided on Stiff Little Fingers instead as our representative of the 70s punk ska community. Not a terrible choice. Right? You, you could probably do worse. Yeah, that's 100%. I'm also surprised that they're still kicking around. They're still doing it. Huh. They've got to be in their 50s now, too. That's 100%. This entire genre is. Good for them, too, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised how many um, classic punk bands are still doing things. There were three or four when I said I wanted to spend my birthday at a punk show in Northern England that I could have chosen. I did see the Buzzcocks this summer, so I am not entirely surprised by the number of bands that are still going. For those that still have members who have not passed away. Or even for some of those who have. They have and that's a, managed to clunk on somehow. And that's one of, the, one of the upsides about this whole style of music. Is that there really is kind of an everyone in the gang spirit. That lets bands still work together and still like each other decades later. Whereas when I was growing up, the bands had more of an everyone is on heroin spirit. <laughs> we have fewer functioning grunge bands than we do punk bands from the 70s in the world today. That is, that is very accurate. Just playing a numbers game. Uh, that should not be. Let's see. What do you have left? You've got Pearl Jam are still going. And Smashing Pumpkins are still on tour or on tour again. Or are about to start again. Parts of them are on tour because they hate each other. 
parts of them are also dead of heroin overdoses, so, you know. I mean... Nirvana aren't going. Nope. Stone Temple Pilots aren't going. Nope. Uh, Soundgarden Soundgarden aren't going anywhere. Alice in Chains are not going. No. The Melvins? Do the Melvins count? Uh, It's a stretch, but I mean, if you're really reaching to get past two, yeah, I guess guess you can throw in the Melvins. Unrelated note, you want to go see the Melvins this summer? Tempting. Very tempting. It's a weekday. It's at Marquee. The tickets are inexpensive. I'll shoot you a link. Yes, you should do that because I might want to go see the Melvins this summer. Yeah, I think that'll be a badass show. I'm looking forward to it. Man, there are more 70s punk and ska acts than grunge acts. That is a weird thing to think about that I am definitely going to bum people out with on Facebook later. The 90s were not a good time to be in a band. I've discussed that previously on this show. Man. But, yeah. What a train wreck of a decade. Right? How did that happen? How did, for real, the 90s, a decade that I was definitely a part of, how did a decade in which there was no Cold War and also terrorism wasn't a thing yet produce such bleak prospects for its rock stars? Well, I guess once you got out of the 80s, you didn't have as much to be angry about. You couldn't be pissed off at Thatcher and Reagan anymore. Yeah. You just had to be kind of mildly crabby about Bill Clinton and Boris Yeltsin. Yeah, you can't work yourself up to be angry about either of those people. I'm aware that people are worked up about both of those people. Please don't tweet at me about your anger towards Bill Clinton and probably Boris Yeltsin. I am not interested in that. But yeah, it's hard to get worked up about but those you, people. But you, you can't hit Reagan levels of upset about either of them. No. The, they just didn't have... Well, I mean, you could argue about the lasting damage, but it just it just didn't seem as bad at the time to generate that kind of anger. Yeah, you but... didn't have the Cold War hanging over you. I guess you just didn't really have anything except to sit around and you just kind of had to look at yourself and people were really bummed about that. It was an introspective time, I guess, and it produced introspective music. And then I guess that's really bad for you. It does explain all the heroin. You can't turn yourself inward for too long. I posted this on uh, social media recently, apropos of nothing, just the sudden realization that I went to high school after the Berlin Wall came down, but before either Columbine or 9-11 happened. And as such, I am part of the only living generation who attended high school not believing that anyone could suddenly kill me. Right. I remember being part of that discussion. Columbine was just towards the end of high school for me, and 9-11 was my first year of university. So I didn't get that kind of, like, existential terror until my, like, mid to late teens. And I I only have a very vague recollection of the Berlin Wall and, like, a pretty clear recollection of watching, like, the first Gulf War on TV. But that was was so far away. Never presented in the same way that the Gulf War is now that it would ever have any impact on me. That was a thing that was happening far away to people far away and... You were never going to see it. Yeah, it was never going to come over here. Yeah, and things... nobody, nobody from the Gulf was going to blow up a plane over here. Now they might. Yeah. I mean, I still don't worry about that too much, but 
But I mean, I can't even imagine how that would shape somebody's worldview to be able to say all through my teenage years, no one ever went on TV and said to me, you specifically could be murdered at any moment. And to know that I'm not only in the minority there, but I'm in a very small minority. Yeah. I, uh, because I go to school with people who are a decade or so younger than me, one of my classes had a presentation on airport security. And it was very unusual because almost none of the class had any real recollection of what airport security was like pre-9-11 because most of them hadn't traveled on an airplane before then because they were too young to, or they were too young to remember. It was me, one other student, and the teacher in the class who had very clear recollections of what it was like to fly in the 90s, where it was, you showed up, you got on the plane... Because you had a ticket. And that was about it. They would check to see if you had a ticket. And they would do like a real... That's about... They'd put your your bag through the x-ray, and I got an X-Acto knife taken away from me once because I'd accidentally brought it from school, but it didn't cause any trouble. I was delayed maybe 45 seconds while I said, no, I don't need this. You can just get rid of it. And that was it. And I don't think anyone else in that class would have had any concept of what that would be like. Yeah. Like, it is a huge downer to think about. And that's why we've made you, gentle listeners, think about it. Because we're bad people. So have fun with that. If you need to pick me up, Listen to some madness. It's good music to get pumped up to. That, so, that will be a better plan than doing anything that we just advised beforehand. <laughs> That's a fact. But we are uh, we are coming up on uh, on our time here. So I'm going to like real quickly run through the questions. I'm, <laughs> I'm imagining. Because I, I think we've kind of answered them. Uh, you ain't never going to listen to One Step Beyond again, are you? Uh, almost certainly not. I will say, with the possible exception of... Throwing the ska cover of Swan Lake on a playlist for somebody else because that was the one track that I found genuinely fun and enjoyable the whole way through. It is a fun number. Uh, and because it's just kind of silly. Yep. Bearing in mind that they do move away from saxophone-based music and into more traditionally produced 80s pop later on. Ever going to listen to any different madness? I wouldn't put it high on the list. I wouldn't rule it out completely, but it's not highly likely. That checks out. And if you had to pick one song off the record to close us out on? If, oh, I'm going to not choose Swan Lake, because I think that if anyone was interested, they should go out and check that out on their own. Uh, so, because I th- because I think it's probably one of the best examples of their sound on the record, I would say Nightboat to Cairo. Nightboat to Cairo is a gooder. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to get, like, a real quick, like, 45 seconds of what Madness is gonna gonna give you, that's probably the one I'd, uh, I'd recommend. That makes a ton of sense. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. I have been Chris. Uh, I've been Daniel. Follow us along on SoundtrackCast <laughs> on Facebook and Twitter, or SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, review us, Share us, tell your friends about us, tell us uh, what you think. 
of this Madness record from 1979, if you have strong opinions on that. Daniel, do you got anything you want to push? Nope, that'll be too late by the time this comes out. Um, if you're interested in anything else I do, uh, I can be found on Twitter at, at FreakPirate, and you can come see my Roller Derby League. Uh, it's the Calgary Roller Derby Association, if you're in Calgary. <laughs> yeah, go watch some Roller Derby. It's roller super fun. badass. Uh, this has been the soundtrack to a life. Playing us out, Nightboat to Cairo by Madness. Have a great week. Yeah.